So I just hung out there. I took some, I took some selfies. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, took some selfies, and then uh, there was a little gray jay that came and visited me. I didn't feed him this time. <laughs> Did you get on his case? Did you fat shame him? This one was skinny, <laughs> so I was like, maybe I should give him some M&Ms, but I didn't. I was like, no, I'm not going to. The Leave No Trace oh. police are going to come after me. I yeah. did put my hand out, and he flew on my hand, and he looked at me for like maybe two seconds, and he's like, where's my reward? And then he left, and then he took off. Yeah, the, the, the Waterville Grey Jays are skinny, I guess. Maybe it's like all the people that come in Waterville. <laughs> I'm trying know. to dig for a joke here. Like they maybe they offer them like vegan stuff or something that they don't really like. <laughs> I don't know, but like this one was skinny. But I was like, you got to go visit your friends on Hancock. They, those ones are fat. So. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, Stump, episode 48. 48. The podcast is almost as old as we are now. Oh my God, that's a good point. Yeah, well, a couple more for me anyway. 52. How old are you? I'm 49. Ah, there you go. I got I got fifty coming up soon. Oh, that's gonna be a great time. Any plans? Going into Boston. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Kristen got a. I, I don't know. I think we booked at a hotel or something. I think we're booked at that hotel. It's Hotel Commonwealth. It looks it looks over Fenway. Fenway okay. Park. And, and it's a nice area. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I haven't been in Boston since. So, I, mean, I used to work there every day, but I just haven't been back. And I've, I've taken a couple of trips to the airport and here and there, but like it would be nice to be there for a night. Yeah, I just found out one of my favorite DJs is coming there uh, to Royale on, I think it's like April 14th, <clears throat> James Hype, really great. So $15 tickets, you can't beat it. No. I mean, no. it's like a world-class DJ. It's, I don't know, I just don't know if I want to put up with the whole mask thing for a whole show. Yeah. I think indoor spaces, they're still pushing that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the story is with, with the masks in Boston at this point. I do know my kids have been going to, so I had to drop my daughters off at, at the Paradise. They went to a concert like mm. uh, over the summer. I dropped them off, and I was like, "Oh, I used to go there back in the day, dude." Paradise, it was so epic. Oh what yeah, a great place. Oh, so good. Yeah. So, and then the remember Axis as well, and yeah, yeah, Axis and Avalon. We used to go there all the time. So, anyway, oh, so good. We're showing our age here, but our I, I stomp. I wanted to find out. Are you have you recovered from the editing process from from Carter and Jill's episode? <laughs> yeah, man, I, that took me forever. What was going on? Usually, it's like super smooth. It wasn't anything to do with Carter it, and, and Jill. Well, it's funny. After that night, like literally after we recorded, I just dove into it, and it took me about an hour to do fifteen minutes, and I'm I was just so fed up. I just like let it go. And I think the main issue was um, that the internet was so sketchy that night for whatever reason that it chopped up some of our files. So trying to piece those files together, really difficult. Yeah, I, I don't know how you do it. It's like, but to me, it's like it's like um, a magic trick. Like you've got all these different tracks and you're trying to combine. I don't know how it's done. I just can't yeah. figure it out. And an, another weird thing that happens too sometimes is if we're using um, a third-party platform like Squadcast or whatever to capture guests, 
the speed at which they're recorded is different from my speed. So they'll be talking either, you know, later than the, you know, the response will be later or sometimes it'll be earlier. So I have to shift everything over to, to make it line up perfectly. And it's just really time consuming sometimes. Yeah, I bet. So there must be, so for the audience's purposes, like me and Stomp, when we record, I'm record, you know, we're over a video system so we can see each other, but we record directly into our computers. And then when we have guests on, we record over a platform called Squadcast. And there's probably a little bit of latency on how much the data, you know, how much time the data has to travel to wherever it's stored in the cloud to record. So that's what you're dealing with, Stomp. Yeah, yeah. And and there are some other settings too, like uh, you know, 40, 44 versus forty eight kilohertz, and you know, it's just yeah, it's crazy. Well, but we make it work. This one will be this this one will be easy for you. I feel like it's. I know when I do the scripts, so I write the scripts and Stomp does the uh, the audio editing. But I feel like sometimes like it'll be a struggle. Like it'll take me days and days to put a script together, and I'm doing research. And then other times, I just bang it out in like an hour or two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the creative process. You, you need that energy yeah. to do it right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Stomp, I wanted to just give you a heads up. I was watching. I almost never watch TV anymore. But the I turned, I think I was doing bills or something. It was like Saturday morning last weekend. And the Northwoods Law episode was on the one-hour episode with the, um, the rescue and the PEMI with the guy that was gone for like two or three days. And it was awesome. Okay. So awesome. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Chris Staff, correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna link in the show notes, so no one can find it. I guess so, <laughs> but I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but that episode was like intense, so intense. Yeah, yeah. Hats off to the producers on that one. I mean, because they had to deal with what five days of filming footage all over the PEMI and with like a dozen teams from north to south. Some of them diving into drainages. Some of them at the base of bond cliffs. Some of them they've just literally everywhere all over that so to put that together over several days all that footage it was very very well done i was really impressed with the and i think the guys in the red shirt were mostly fishing game and not search and volunteer search and rescue but like they were just like under bond cliff like bushwhacking in that thick crazy area there oh yeah it's crazy yeah i mean some areas um some areas were just so difficult. Like um, we had to tackle a drainage that um, was north of Mount Zealand and south of the Twins, and it it eventually dumped down to um, a proper trail. But I mean, in some cases, there was just no way that that guy was going to be there. But they had to clear these areas that you know potential water sources. That was the issue of the day. I think he got so so out of it because he was dehydrated. He went off trail, um, maybe either looking or just unintentionally. But um, yeah, man, some serious serious terrain. I remember some of the fishing game crews went up from Owl's Head. I forget the name of the trail at the moment, and then bushwhacked. Oh, Hell's Gate, I believe, to the yeah. base of, yeah, to the base of uh, Boncliffe. And that's some of the most wretched uh, scrub you'd ever have to bushwhack through. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because they filmed them when they broke through the scrub. And it was like yeah. two of them. And I've seen, there's a guy named Dan McGinnis who, I don't know how right. active he is anymore, but he has a lot of great videos on his YouTube. Matter of fact, I'll try to find the video. 
of him and his hiking partner, and they did the the cross Pemi whack where they they did exactly what you're talking about. Is they went up through Owl's Head and then whacked down Owl's Head up Hellgate and then directly to the base of Bond Cliff, I think. And they were going yeah. through. They were literally like walking on top of trees, which is crazy. Yeah, I, I recall that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. and I, if I remember correctly, I think they had a double back and do it twice just they wanted to be absolutely certain so they did that whole section twice um so there was a lot of effort we had we had uh fishing game officer stationed on the top of mount bond you know so that was one thing we had um geez you know the blackhawks shuttling teams of people all over the mountains um just to get them up there to avoid the hike in one hell of an effort you had you had teams on ATVs, like just scouring the whole area, incredible. Yeah, yeah, that was the other thing that stood out. Jeez, we're gonna we're never gonna get to the show opener because I could talk about this forever. But <laughs> like, it was interesting. So they were they they all. I remember. I think it was Lieutenant Nealon was on the show and he was talking about. He was like, you know, we can get three miles down and that'll save a little bit of time, but. You still got to go like, okay, you get to you get to the bridge or wherever. Maybe they go over the bridge. I don't know. Um, but you yeah. still got a good like three to four miles to sort of get in there. And then you've got to get into the PEMI and find those drainages. And that can be even farther. But like Lieutenant Nealon was on the TV and he's like, yeah, we got to clear all the drainages. And, and it just seems like, I guess that's like standing operating procedure, it seems like. Oh, sure. And in the early hours of that search, they... Um, we're sending teams pretty much up, up and down all of the Pemi Loop trails, uh, hasty teams just to clear the trails. So in the early wee hours, as they were, you know, developing the search strategy, they were just blasting out all the trails. That's a lot of terrain to cover in itself. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And I, I'm very familiar with the, the sort of off trail Pemi in the center near the Lincoln Slide all the way out to the Lincoln Brook Trail. Like I've been in that area a couple of times now, but I have never been off the backside of Owl's Head between Hellgate and Bondcliff. So I do want to do that this summer. And I think there's like a there's like a pond underneath Galehead in that area that I want to whack out to. But mm-hmm. that has to be on the list this year. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I forget the name of um the ravine that goes in towards uh, near Galehead with all those slides. There's like a whole horseshoe yeah. of like a dozen slides. I forget the name of that one, but uh, awesome stuff. Yeah. Anyway, but I will, uh, I highly recommend if you have whatever, I have Hulu Live and I don't know what, I think it's National Geographic. Like you can just do a search for Northwoods Law and I'll find the season and the episode number and post it in the show notes because it is it is an awesome episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That season was a great season in particular because they they covered um, the Dartmouth student as well. Yes, in the same season. Yeah, yeah. And just in case the audience isn't aware, like they eventually did find this guy. They found him down by uh, Lincolnwoods Road. Okay. So in the vicinity of where Bond Cliff Trail dumps out um, near the the actual brook or the river. Um, I think he was in that region, which is another crazy idea because he was, you know, we we scoured those areas upside down, inside and out, and that's where he was. (laughs) It's it's aliens. It's definitely aliens. Yeah, who knows? All of these extended searches involve aliens, I'm convinced. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's the, the strong theory. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. But uh, just changing topics, you had sent me, so uh, the Dear Rider documentary, again, that's the, the Jake Burton. I mean, that is such an amazing movie. Like, I highly recommend, I, my, my sister-in-law, Marissa, and, Matt, and my brother, Matt, she had texted me, and she's like, oh, I'm watching this. It's awesome. Uh, but you had sent me, so for the audience, Stomp had sent me this video from 1985, and it's the greatest video ever, right? You Dude, want to describe it's a, it? Well, it's a snowboarding hit piece. It's yes. it's an early 80s, um, you know, uh, regular TV uh, segment that they yeah, would have shown. Yeah, it's a newscast segment, right? Yeah, it's a newscast segment like MUR does, you know? But it, it captures the early days of boarding where this, it was skiers versus snowboarders and the, the skiers were just so anti, anti-snowboarding. And they they actually went out of their way. In this particular piece, I don't don't know why, but they they went out of their way to paint snowboarders as like punk rocker, stoners, skateboard, you know, skateboard riff riffraff that shouldn't be on the slopes. It's the craziest video. It's the greatest video ever. It I is. was dying because it's like, it's the most, and I, I don't know, I feel like our audience may skew a little older, but like if you grew up in the 80s, like this video is like, you know, you have all these movies like Karate Kid and like Rad and all those, where it's always like the, you know, there's a certain, there's all kinds of stereotypes. And this oh, video totally. is like, it starts off Dude. with the grumpy old guy. That's just like, these, these youths are just too dangerous and they're going to kill people. And then it moves to like yep. the sort of like Ned Flanders skier guy. <laughs> who's just like, you know, everyone has to be safe and they're not safe. And then it moves to like this rich yep. kid, like a teenager, like the Johnny Lawrence from, from karate kid. That's like, they're all punks. Like they think that they can speed around and go past <laughs> me and my friends and all that. It's so awesome. Then they do an interview and they pick like the two, like the, the first of all, they pick this 14 year old kid who's a snow, uh, a snowboarder. And he's like, can barely yeah. speak. And he's like, these people just want to ruin our day, man. And we're not. And then they, <laughs> they cut to this older kid who's totally baked out of his mind stoner. And he's just like, yeah, man, we're all just trying to get along and they want to hassle us, bro. You it know, what? So you know, I really watching that. I really get the impression that the ski lobby had to make a call to the the media company saying, "Hey, we got to put a hit out on these these snowboarders because it's really starting to crimp our style." It just seems like such a pre thought out, you know, segment. It doesn't seem random, you know. Oh, no doubt, no doubt about it. I vividly yeah. remember, like, there was a period for a couple of years where there was like a strong lobby to say, you know, these snowboarders are nothing but trouble. And I think skateboarding culture in the eighties always was a sort of a counterculture where the mainstream would always go at go after it. So I don't think that there was any separation between the people that snowboarded and skateboarded in the mind of the media and the straight edge crowd back then. So I think that's how it happened. But this video is so fantastic. It is the most perfect 1980s sort of time capsule capsule that you could get. So it was good find. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. And actually, they the one thing that they do hit on very briefly is that I think it's the first old guy there. He comes on and goes that it's a liability concern. And then that really was the overriding concern, I think, back in that early day. Like, this is a liability disaster because it didn't their, – their liability waivers did not cover this new f- sport, you know? Yeah. So it was an issue, a legal issue. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure the insurance companies looked at it and said to the ski, the ski companies, like, well, we're going to have to – you know, any chance to increase their rates – 
they're probably yeah. like, oh, we're going to increase our oh, rates. Yeah. They don't want to pay more money. So obviously they're going to do the lobby to say like, all right, well, we don't want to be responsible for these kids. Well, let's so, just bury it. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I think they were trying to do. Well, that didn't work out so well. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that. I know the old guy's like, they don't even have brakes on those things. I'm like, they don't have brakes on skis either. Like, what? <laughs> oh, it's so great. Yeah. Good stuff. Funny, yeah, it's it's so such a time time period piece. You know, oh. it's a little time capsule. It's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, all right. So a couple of other notes here before we get to the show summary. Uh, we're coming up on 50,000 downloads. So this is episode 48. And at some point, I think the last couple of weeks, we finally surpassed like over 1,000 downloads per show average. So, uh, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a milestone, but we're we're coming up on 50,000 downloads at this point, which is like kind of mind-blowing stomp. I never thought that we would get, I honestly figured that we get like 20 to 30 downloads a show when we started. Yeah, I know. It's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, 50K. Sheesh. Yeah. It's weird, huh? Yeah, so thank you to the audience. And, um, you know, keep a lot of the topics that we cover, like people will email us or they'll message us over Instagram or Facebook or whatever to give us ideas. And we take all those ideas and try to implement them into the show. So feel free to reach out to us anytime. Mostly just stomp over Instagram because I don't have time to deal with you people, but stomp will listen to you. <laughs> yeah, because I got tons of time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, but speaking of time, oh, you boy. also sent over a link to highlight like February and March. So I got to defer to you, Stomp, because I've read all the books, but it's been years. And I'm yeah. not as into this as I am um, A Song of Ice and Fire with George R. R. Martin. But Lord of the Rings apparently takes place in February and March. And I think the fellowship broke up in February. But mm-hmm. do you want to explain what, why you care about this? <laughs> Well, I mean, gee whiz, if you're a hiker, I think you're uh, a natural Tolkien fan. I mean, there's yes. such a buzz about it because you have Amazon coming out with like a new thing. And I'm a huge fan myself, but um, I just thought it was interesting that those dates fall around right now. That's, uh, yeah, the Fellowship broke up on like February 26th, March 25th. Gollum falls into the magma of Mount Doom. So we're coming up on the the destruction of the Ring of Power, March 25th. Jot it down. And by the way, we got to hear your story sometime about that uh, George R. R. Martin. Uh, you told me that whole story one time, and that was amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we got time. It's lengthy, but it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I can dive into a little bit more detail, but I was, I don't know if anybody cares of this about this stuff, but George R. R. Martin, so he released Game of Thrones. So he, originally he was a, he was an early sci-fi writer. Matter of fact, George R. R. Martin was one of the early inventors or like influencers around um, Dungeons and Dragons. So he was like one of those board game guys in the early 70s. A bunch of the guys that he played with went on to be writers and things like that. But he spent some time in Hollywood. 1986, he re- oh, 1996, he released um, A Game of Thrones. And I was a big sci-fi fantasy uh, reader back then. And I actually picked it up like probably within a month or two of when it was released. And then I got into sort of the early message boards, westeros.org. And I was part of, you know, probably a group of about 100 people that were sort of like speculating on theories about Game of Thrones. And it was only the first book. But over time, like the fandom started to grow and George R. R. Martin back then would actually come to the Boss BossCon, which is the Boston Sci-Fi Convention. Right. So I went, I met him 
and his wife Paris a couple of a couple of years after the I think maybe it was after the second book had been released and I was able to interview him for the the message board there was a bunch of questions about like you know there was a theory that Ned actually wasn't actually dead or anything so that was kind of cool got to know him a little bit and then he came back to the Boston um, sci-fi convention like maybe two years later and we were able to go out to dinner with him and spend a lot of time with him and his wife and we took a run to Kelly's roast beef to get him roast beef sandwiches and you know did trivia and all this stuff so it was pretty cool so I got to know him a little bit and then Mm -hmm. to see it like this is way before like there was even an idea that HBO was going to put the series together you know we always talked about like from a movie perspective at it now but you know to see it blow up like it's part of sort of the cultural like fabric mm-hmm. is absolutely crazy. yeah it's phenomenal i mean i think both both of the series um and in particular lord of the rings there's a, i think there's a good strong connection between hikers and just the whole ethos of the the stories you know just being out in the wilderness and exploring and traveling and exploring new lands and just the whole thing so anyway it's fun to mention Great story, Mike. I think that's super cool. So, yeah, so that's the George R. R. Martin story. So um, transition to the sh- show summary here, Stomp. Yeah, after a good lengthy intro. Yes, yeah. So um, welcome to episode 48 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Tonight we are excited to catch up on recent search and rescue news. We actually have some search and rescue news um, for change. Exactly. Uh, we're going to start tonight with a deep dive on a recent hike up the Osceolas. And after we wrap up the hiking topic, we'll give a breakdown on the upcoming shoulder season. Stomp will break everything down that you need to know for early spring hiking. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Great, great. I can see, by the way, I saw the, is it the executive producer or the assistant producer has been Assistant. Walking back and forth, assistant. <laughs> oh, in the back. <laughs> yeah, she's um, she's very persistent. She wants to sit on my lap, but it's just too annoying. She's so squirmy. But yeah, yeah the executive producer is sleeping somewhere upstairs. So, <laughs> funny. you know what it reminds me of? There's a video on. Jeez, uh, we're going off segways, but I'll try to find this video and post it in the show notes. But it's hilarious because I mean we are a cat show, so I think this is on topic. But there's a video I think I saw it on TikTok of this neighbor, and you know those ring those ring cameras. This lady knocks oh, yeah, on the door. Yeah. She's all mad, and she she's like, "Come outside!" And the lady's like, "She's like, I'm not coming outside. You seem angry." And she's like, you need to come out and talk to me. And she's like, no, I'm not coming out to talk to you. And then the lady, she's mad about the neighbor's cat. And she's like, you need to come in and get, you need to come out here and get your cats. Those cats are shitting all over my, my, um, my whatever trees or whatever. As she's screaming, like the cat just goes walking past her, like as slow as can be, just like looks at the camera and then walks away. It's so funny. And it reminded me of like the assistant producers doing that right now. Uh, It's wicked funny. Yeah, it just made the video. Yeah, we'll have to post it. (laughs) I'll find that. But uh, all right, so beer talk, Stomp. What are you drinking tonight? Mm, Water. Beautiful, clear, artesian well water. Okay. Is it artesian? What is that? What's an artesian well? Oh, I think it's a natural well that we have. But this is like the best water I've ever, ever tasted. And my wife will back me up on that. It's just literally the best. Is it just out of the tap? You can. It's out of the tap. Yeah, it's a natural well back here. And, um, you know, if you do a taste test with some of those fancy waters, 
you, you literally can't t- tell the difference. It's amazing stuff. I'm going to pee in your woods <laughs> next time I'm up there. <laughs> <laughs> mm. ah, how about you? You chugging down some IPA? I do. I have a new um, a new IPA from Stellwagen Beer Company. So I've been drinking a lot of these, but this is a new one. This is called Wheel Watcher. Uh-huh. So this is oh, the nice. time of the year where I, I I'm th- starting to think about booking my. We do a deep sea fishing trip with my my brother, so I'm thinking oh, that's about cool. getting out there to out of Gloucester. So mm-hmm. anyway, but it's pretty good, nice smooth IPA. So Stellwagen, I've had like three or four different types of beer from them recently. I think my local beer company like has an agreement with them where they stock everything. So I definitely recommend it if you get if you you get a chance to buy something from Stellwagen, they seem pretty good. This is a dry hopped session IPA. So uh-huh. I don't know what that means. Excellent. Huh. All right. Well, hey, just briefly, uh, Sarah without an H donated three coffees. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, awesome. She just, she posted a big, big thumb, big thumb, thumbs up picture oh, on awesome. uh, the buy me a coffee thing. <laughs> no comment, just a big thumb. <laughs> we'll take and, uh, it. Yeah. And a special thanks to Reckless Brewing, uh, our sponsor, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Hey, I just saw a post from them. They posted the new carryout stout uh, can with the new artwork that we got a preview of. I think you posted that either on Facebook or on yeah. Instagram at one point, but it looks super slick. Oh, that's great. So nice yeah. job. Nice job, Reckless. Cool. Yeah, we have. Uh, matter of fact, I was just messaging back and forth with friend of the show Al, who he always keeps me honest about um, geography. Uh, sometimes I say like language, but he's <laughs> actually he helps out with geography. Sometimes he'll send us a, a note or a correction or something if I forget something. Uh, but he was saying that he swung by Reckless and he was gonna like try to talk to the manager or, or somebody to just be like, hey, just a heads up. I heard about you guys through the podcast, but he said it was so busy. And he said it was great, but he said it was pretty busy, so he didn't want to bother bother them so it sounds like they're doing well oh hell yeah 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 absolutely between us and all the snowmobile people we should get royalties (laughs) exactly so (laughs) good times so uh any recent hikes for you stomp or are you just busy with the snowmobile gig uh busy with that and um i just you know still getting over this uh this tail end of COVID. So I've just, just started working out with weights again today, which is cool, but uh, I have not been out for a hike, although it's, you know, I, I could have, but I, I just think the, the trails are just too shitty. Like I do not want to go hiking on a patch of ice the whole time for two or three hours. I just don't want to do it. Yeah. yeah Sorry. Well. I mean, now we have like four or five inches of new snow today, which is cool. But, um, up until this moment, it's been too risky. Yeah, yeah, we got a foot down here today, so which I got to get out and snowblow after this. But that's um, amazing. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. But I'll get into it with the the trail conditions when we talk about the Osceolas. But I I hiked the Osceolas, so but we're gonna do a full segment on that. But I figured yeah. I I put a note in here to sort of just say like I I had to switch up my plans for I went hiking on Monday. I had President's President's Day was was a day off for me, so I was able to get up on on Monday. My wife and kids are in Florida. So I had like the day to myself and I've actually been home all week by myself, but the, um, original plan was, I was supposed to do something with my friend, Tom, that, that 
he got, he had some situation where he couldn't go, so ended up sliding to Monday. I kept looking at Madison and Adams, and I was like, I'm going to be it's going to be in the clear. So mm-hmm. the the three days out, the higher summer for, summit forecast sort of showed in the clear, and then I went on mountain forecast, and I was like, yeah, it looks windy, but it'll be okay. And then I think Saturday night they pushed a new update to the summit forecast, and then it it, it had it in the clouds, and it had the the wind increasing. So then I was like, oh, what do I do? So I was looking at it and I was like, well, I can go up and worst case scenario, I get to Madison hot and I can at least sort of make the call. Then I was like, do I really want to drive three hours to risk like going up there and then not having any views or having to turn around or whatever? I was like, because it's a lot of work and effort. And um, then Sunday, mm-hmm. the, the in the clouds forecast held in Sunday afternoon. So that's when I decided to bail on Madison and Adams just because it was going to be too windy and there was too much of a risk of clouds. And I was like, I just want to see some views and I don't want to get stuck in any weird situation solo up there. Yeah. Yeah. So then it turns out that like I was looking at some, some pictures on the 4,000 footer page and it looks like there was a group, the hiking, one of the hiking buddy groups went up there. Um, and it looked like they got some views. It looked like it would have been okay. So I'm kind of bummed out about that. But I switched to the Osceolas, which was a good choice, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but I just figured yeah. I'd walk through my my. I, I just I used the the Mount Washington Higher Summit Forecast, the Summit Observatory, and then the Mountain Forecast, and then NOAA. And I just look at all four of those, and then try to make a decision on what I'm going to do. And the, I bailed. I don't know. Maybe it was the wrong choice. But I forgot about Mountain Forecast. That, that is yeah. a pretty decent one. Yeah. A lot of people don't like it. They call it like the all trails of of weather forecasting. But I use it just as a reference. Like I, I don't use one. I use like four different ones and then try to piece together. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like Harvey Leonard. I, I do my own meteor, meteorology. <laughs> I think uh, we talked about this maybe way back in the early episodes. But the I think it's called the Mesonet system. Did you look into that on Mount Washington? I haven't. You've talked about that multiple times, though. Okay, it's just another resource because it's it's real time data. They have just these. Um, if you can imagine, like a little like robotic looking satellite, they have them positioned throughout the presidential range at different elevations, so you can get real time information at specific elevations and locations. It's it's within the Mount Washington Observatory website um, under weather, I believe, buried in there. Mesonet system. I, if, if I remember correctly. All right, yeah. I'll try to find the link for that. Yeah. It's very cool. Very cool, very cool. Very cool, very <laughs> cool. Um, all right, so I'm gonna, we're going to do a segment with um, about the Osceolas where I did end up hiking, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But I wanted I had a note here, and Stomp, you actually sent me this. You're a good man. Um, I care. I care yeah, about yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you want to break this one down? Uh, if I can pull it up, sure. This okay. this woman, um, I saw this online. It was on WMUR. She was a th- was she is a thirty one year old woman. Uh, apparently, she was paralyzed. She went sledding and had a terrible accident. And um, I guess she described it as like hitting a bump and just hit her tailbone really hard and just messed up her spine. So. Um, 
<clears throat> the original post I saw online was from somebody that was actually offering um, like a, a mailer just to send encouraging mailing uh, letters and and just things like that to her. Apparently, she was a hiker, and that's what sort of caught my my uh, attention. She's a hiker, so I think it'd be nice if anybody's interested to send this um, young woman um, some cards and just uh, get well and. Uh, more power to you and everything else. I think that would be really sweet. Her name is Caroline Adams, and she's from Massachusetts. She moved to New Hampshire because she loves to hike the White Mountains. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, it sucks. I mean, just you know, thirty-one years old, recently married, and just a freak accident. But yeah, you know, I don't know what it'll take, but I'd love to see you know. And she seems like such a positive person. Like I'd love to see her get back on the mountain some someday. I don't I don't know how or or when, but I'm sure that you know she she won't uh, she won't stay down low for long. Yeah, she will she will not walk again per reports. Yeah. So that's that's just heartbreaking, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so we'll link the the um, the address right? where you can send letters. We'll link the GoFundMe if you want to um, help help her and her. I guess she's recently married. So yeah. you know, sad story. It sucks. I mean, you think about like you know you have out for a fun day and then something like that goes down and it's just a freak accident. So yeah, um, yeah. When you go to the GoFundMe, it goes into greater detail too. It's just. Heartbreaking, but she has a good man with her. Um, her husband's pretty devoted, and he's going to be helping her, helping her along. So that's great. Yep. So yeah, all the best, a, Caroline. We'll, yeah, yeah, we're thinking about you. Absolutely. Cool. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. All right. So uh, moving on to the first segment here, we're going to talk about the Osceola stomp. Yeah, good call. That's a that's a tough hike. Yeah. Hard to get to in the winter. Congrats yeah, for getting out there. Yeah, yeah, kick my ass. It definitely kicked my ass. So, um, for those who are not familiar with the Osceolas, they are it's it's one mountain. There's like three main peaks. Two of those peaks are part of the New Hampshire four thousand footer list. So it does get a lot of traffic. Um, and you can hit it from like two different directions. Ooh. Do you have to take that stomp? No. Okay. No. (laughs) That was weird. That's the first time that's ever happened. Um, (laughs) But so Osceola, you can hit it from two different directions. You can get, get to it from the Lincoln side, which I think um, is pretty common in the summer. And you, you basically would take the Greeley pond, trailhead and then in the you know the other direction is from is it it's off a tripoli road so you head towards livermore past waterville valley and then go down tripoli road and then the trailhead is on triple tripoli road Mm -hmm. and you know directionally like the triple trip tripoli road or tripoli i don't don't know how do you pronounce it stomp i think it's tripoli tripoli that's a safe bet yeah, I'm sure we'll hear about it, but I think that the... <laughs> well, here's another angle, triple I. <laughs> That's it, yeah. We've talked about yeah, yeah. this before. But I think that that trailhead is probably the... And Jill actually talked about this last week. Like, if you're going to do a single 4,000-footer, I think the main peak of Osceola from Tripoli is probably the easiest easiest hike of the 4,000-footers. And then... Um, mm-hmm. 
coming from the other direction, you you would park on the kank right before the the hairpin turn, and you would take Greeley Pond to Osceola Trail, and uh, and come across. And most people will do it out and back. You can do it as a traverse if you have a car spot, but that's a lot of work. I mean, you, it's a good. How long of a ride is that from Waterville to get to Lincoln? That's a good hour, uh, forty-five minutes or so, I'd say. Um, yeah, about thirty, thirty-five. Not too bad, yeah. actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So basically, that's that's sort of how it works. I mean, in the winter, I I know some people that start at uh, Waterville at Tripoli Road or Livermore Trailhead and walk, but that's that's a long road walk and it's all uphill. Yeah, that tacks yeah. on at least three or four miles to your hike, one direction. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then you can do like you can do like a super loop if you start on uh, East Pond Trail, which cuts from the Kank to Tripoli Road, and then you could go across Osceola and then back. So you can do a giant circle. I mean, that's a lot of distance. It's got to be like 15, 20 miles, uh, but yeah. people do it. And, and that's how you would access. We're going to talk about slides on Osceola, but from East Pond Trailhead, you you can access a lot of those ponds. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my view, like I said, Tripoli, that trailhead getting to the main peak is easier. Greeley Pond is a flat trail that starts off. And then when you connect to Osceola Trail, like it gets really steep on the east side. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. Um, right. I took it from, I, I did the winter hike this week, um, from Greeley Pond and the Kank side. So it was, it was a steep climb, but we'll talk about hmm. it in more detail. But in addition to the east peak, and the main peak, which are on the four thousand footers, there is a west peak as well, which I've never been on. Have you? Have you gone out there? No, but I, I you know, doing some research for this, I heard um, that there's. It's a bushwhack. Apparently, it's probably yeah. a herd path bushwhack at this point. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Somebody had mentioned that they had just done it. Yeah, I feel like this this mountain is like a bushwhack paradise because there's a ton of slides. Like the mm-hmm. there's a there's the East Osceola slide, which I think you get from the East Pond Trail, is like the most well known and I think the most traffic slide. And I think a lot of people will try to ski that as well. There's another one called Steaming Gift Slide, and huh. then there's a Southwest Slide as well. So there's a bunch of different slides in. On, on this mountain that are just beautiful, you know, pretty, pretty frequently trafficked and, and pretty nice. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw the Osceola's from Waterville, we were staying uh, with family. They had rented a condo for some time and um, looking out that this is like the early days of the 48 with my wife. And I looked out the window and I saw that thing and it's just, they call Musalak the gentle giant, right? I mean, this is such an impressive, massive, gentle giant as well it's a beautiful beautiful mountain yeah oh it's it's a fantastic mountain and you know what it i'm curious stomp have you done and i know you've poked around between like welsh dickey and tecumseh and osseo like that's all in your neighborhood but uh, and maybe i'm wrong about this but i felt like i was like on osceola and it looked like i could sort of touch welsh dickey you know i could see somebody very clearly on them on the mountain when i was coming up to the main peak but i'm assuming that there's got to be some wax across from like osceola to tecumseh or 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 to um to welsh dickey oh sure yeah um there are some old abandoned trails i think you can go to the franklin sites uh abandoned trail list um which i can give you the link for mike there's some old um routes up there's the uh the alternate tecumseh approach as well from tripoli road 
but um, yeah, all that ties together. A uh, lot of lot of great um, uh, diversity in trails and bushwhacking for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a, there's a lot there. And I haven't been over there in a long time, so I was just it was nice to refresh my memory because the first time that I hiked the Osceolas, I did it with my nephew Connor and my daughter Caroline, and I I made the rookie mistake that was when we were sort of starting off, and I was like, well. The map only shows like a six-mile round trip, so it's only like three and a half miles, seven miles. So it's like it's only seven miles or so round trip, so that must be pretty easy. But I didn't realize how much elevation gain that trail coming up from up to East Osceola had. So it really kicked our asses. And this weekend I was solo, and the trail conditions were brutal, so I it really kicked my ass. But it was a great hike. Yeah. might be interesting is to try to get to Osceola by going over Tecumseh from the ski resort. Yeah. That might be mileage wise sort of a wash or maybe even better. Hit the summit, descend, uh, and then tackle Osceola from the west, you know, not the Greeley side, and then back. Um, that might be a cool option too. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to look into that. But, um, before I get into the details on my hike, uh, I wanted to just cover the name origin because this is kind of interesting. So Osceola is not a, it's a Native American name, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with New England. Osceola was a, and a matter of fact, when I'm down in Florida, like I noticed there's Osceola's all over the place down there. And Osceola was a famous Seminole Indian leader. Interesting. In Florida. Yeah. So how did it come up here? In Florida. So I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. So also the same goes with, with Tecumseh. So Tecumseh was not native to New England. I think he was a, I want to say a Shawnee Indian peak, Indian chief or something. Hmm. Um, yeah, he was a Shawnee warrior and chief, which was like, I think the Shawnees were like Ohio in that area there. So what happened was the way that these two, Tecumseh and Osceola got their names was there was a guy that was from Michigan. His name is E.J. Connable, and he was a Michigan native, and I guess him and his wife in their later years, although I think he lived until 1899, he started visiting Waterville Valley in 1859, and I think there's like a historical home that may still exist that they built, but this guy E.J. Connable, he named Osceola and Tecumseh in in or around like the 1860s so my guess is that i think that osceola i want to say he may have died like in the early 1800s or maybe late in the mid 1800s and then tecumseh was the early 1800s so my guess is that the newspapers of that time and then also there was some books written if this guy was from michigan and he had enough sort of wealth and money to like travel back and forth between Michigan and having a home in New Hampshire. He was probably like a pretty well, you know, well-read person for that time. So my guess is that he probably picked up some of the stories because Tecumseh was known as sort of like a folk hero, even amongst early settlers. Like he was a well-respected warrior, and I'm assuming Osceola may have been as well. So. I think that this guy probably was like reading books or reading newspaper stories about them and decided to name these peaks in honor of them, which is huh. pretty weird, but pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, I wonder how the uh, Abenaki feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but they... It's interesting. Um, 
Yeah. But I was sort of, I, I, I just always sort of assumed that like, oh, they must be local tribal leaders or something, or there's some mm. Native American word, but they were basically like well known uh, amongst the settlers in, in the region. And, you know, they were, there were books published about both of them prior to the 1859 period where Connibal showed up. So that's how they got their names. Interesting. It's weird, huh? A little history segment within topics segment. Yeah. It's very, getting yeah. very complicated for my it editing. It's stressing me out. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. But all right, the description of the hike. So I got out of the car and I walked. Wait, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Piece of cake. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a little more to it than that. And I'm actually really curious. Yeah, yeah. So um, this. So I guess, Stomp, why don't you just break down like what's been going on up there? Like it's melting and then huh. freezing over. So from your perspective, <laughs> yeah. like what's it, the river crossings and stuff have been crazy, right? Yeah. Well, because of the melt, because of the rains that we've had, the the top coat of snow is history. So it just literally everywhere is just leftover ice. It's incredible. The snowmobile season is over, by the way. I may be um, doing some part-time stuff this weekend, maybe, but most of the snowmobile clubs are closing. It's, it's like crazy. they're done. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Um, Clear ice. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. I wish it was a little bit longer season for you guys. But mm. hey, so, yeah, like you said, like it was weird conditions. When I was, so I, you get the park, the parking lot's not plowed. I don't know why they don't plow these parking lots on, on the Kank. Like, oh, they didn't even plow Hancock when I was That's up there a, a couple of weeks pretty ago. pretty small lot too. Yeah, it's small, I guess. Yeah, they could do it. They could do it if they wanted to. But anyway, it's yeah. not plowed. They do, um, they do clear a couple of bump outs so that you can park on the road, but you're like a quarter mile past the trailhead. So I parked, about, I was the only car. I'm always kind of sketched out, but like I, somebody has to be first. So I just pulled up a quarter mile past the trailhead, pulled over and parked on the kink, got my stuff out, mm-hmm. headed down. And then I I didn't know what to expect. So I brought micro spikes, crampons and snowshoes because I was hmm. like, I'm just bringing everything because I don't know what I'm going to carry. And it's going to suck that I got to carry all the weight, but I needed everything. Actually, I actually didn't need micro spikes, but I, I just started bare booting and it's pretty flat for the first mile and 1.3 miles to the the trail junction where you can keep going to Greeley Pond, which I've never been to, or you just take a right up Osceola Trail. So I went the 1.3 miles. I bare booted for the first half a mile, got to, there's a like a probably about three eighths of a mile in, there's a river crossing. And I had no, I didn't consider, like, I don't even think about river crossings in the winter. Everything's frozen over. Yeah. This river crossing was like running. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, it looks like this part's frozen over. And I was like, I guess I'm just going to walk across this thing. I didn't, I was bare booted. I didn't even have spikes on yet because it was just flat. I take mm-hmm. one step on this and it immediately cracked. <laughs> and it held though. So I just, I just kept moving. And I was yeah. like, man, this is going to be a pro-. and it was already like probably mid mid thirties by the or it was like low low thirties, and I was like, this is going to be a problem when I come back. Yeah, keep note of that because we will be talking about shoulder season. I mean, that is one symptom of shoulder season right there. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, frail bridges. Yeah, and this is a pretty wide river crossing, so it was like it was going to be doable, but it was I, I would have had to rock hop, and my my fear about rock hopping in this time of the year is it's super slippery. So I would have been better off just going right in the river and just getting my feet, risking getting my feet wet. That's what I would have done 
if I had to. I eventually, on the way back, that's what I had to do. But yeah. it was a little bit sketchy on that river crossing. So if you're going to hike Osceola in the next couple of weeks, like just consider that like that lower river crossing is an issue. Um, so I sort of packed that in the back of my mind and, and started rolling, put my micro spikes on, and then started my making my way up. When I got to the trailhead at one or the trail sign split at 1.3 miles, it's one and a half miles up to the east peak, two and a half miles to the main peak. So I was like, this is cake, mile and a half, no problem. It's a mile and a half with like 1,700 feet of elevation gain. Yeah, steep. So it's like, it's relentless. So even the beginning part is not that steep. So most of the up is like the last like probably mile or so. You, you're probably doing 1,300, 1,400 worth of gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I got to look at my GPS and see see what it looks like. But it was like people had been butt sledding. So it was the typical scenario that you get with like, it was freezing, then it was thawing. Everybody mm-hmm. had butt sledded down. So it was like a solid, smooth ice luge. So I was, <laughs> I had my um, micro spikes on and I was like trying to kick step in and you can't kick step in, in that. So uh-huh. it's all frozen over. And normally like if there's a little bit of give, you can kick step and then go to the next one, but it wasn't let me do any of that. So I was like digging in with my micro spikes with getting my whole foot surface, but going up mm-hmm. and just, I would just slide backwards. So I spent the whole time like grabbing onto trees and some of it was like super, super uh, slick. So I switched over to crampons. Okay. And then that made all the difference in the world. Keep this in mind as well for one of the rescues coming up. This is okay. all tying together really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So like I switched over to crampons at like 3000 feet so I tried to do it for the first like 700 feet I went up and it wasn't too bad the first like probably 400 feet. There was a 300 foot section that was brutal and then I switched over to crampons and then you get to the section where there's like a slide off to the left and you can walk out to the slide and there's like a nice view there and everything. But like right after that slide, the trail is like straight up and I was like, oh, even with crampons, I was like, Jesus, this is going to be a little sketchy so luckily i was able to hold on to trees but the whole time i'm thinking like i gotta come back down this and this is gonna be crazy so Hmm. make my way up and i was like i do not think of osceola as like a dangerous or sketchy hike at all like i just never think of it Mm -hmm. but like after doing this i was like this is going to be one of the sketchiest hikes i've i've been on in the winter and i was by myself there was no other cars around and there was one set of footprints ahead of me that I was following and um, I was like, there's got to be someone ahead of me because they're fresh. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see anybody. Eventually she came past me like when I made it past East Peak, but like I was by myself. So finally, the thing I was surprised about with East Osceola is I don't remember any views when I was on there the last time, but there's a ton of views on there. So there's a view from that slide at like 3,500 feet. Then you go up to... I would call it the crown. So East Osceola Peak is sort of like Owl's Head where it's like a, not a half mile, but it's maybe like a quarter mile of like a crown. Mm -hmm. So when you get to the beginning of the crown before you get to the peak, there is, um, there's a a look back to the Hancocks and and to Carrigan in that area. And then you can actually go around the other side where you can see the Kank and out to the Pemi from there. Then you make your way to the peak and it's like any typical like tree covered peak it's pretty flat there's a little bit of up and down 
But yeah. you get to the peak and then there's a little spur trail that looks out into the like Waterville Valley out to the Tri-Pyramids in that area, which is pretty cool. So I mm-hmm. sat there and had lunch. That's a great spot. It's a great, great spot. But then that this is the area where I should have switched over to snowshoes, but I just post all the shit out of the trail. I'm sorry, everybody. Don't come <laughs> at me. But but I, I just was like, screw it. I'm going to keep my, um, my crampons on. But I made my way over from East Peak. There's a bunch of blow, you know snow that's like blowing across it, so I, I was in the, up to my hip at one point, and then made my way to the section that's in between East Peak and the main peak. There's a section called the Chimney. Have you ever been on that? Oh, sure. You talked about the Chimney before. Yeah, yeah, I've done it. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> Not in the winter though. Yeah, no, it's and it's like what do you? Th- it's probably like eighty feet or something. Sure. I don't know. Rough guesstimate. It's, it's tall. Yeah, it's like a, a rock wall. It's like a rock wall that you have to climb up. And in the in the summer, it's like a scramble. It's fun. I mean, it's not that difficult, but like there's a <laughs> bypass trail. And I had a hard time going up. You know, like my body doesn't do well. When you get older, you know when you like twist in a different, like sometimes you'll twist just a little bit. And all of a sudden, like, you, you're like, I just pulled my whole body out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was like one of those deals. And I made my way up, but it was sketchy. And then there's from when you get to the top of the chimney, you got to go like straight up to um, to the main peak. And it's a pretty, pretty mm-hmm. tough climb. And it then from there, narrow, that's yeah. where you can see like well sticky in that area there. Right, right. I had a comment. There was, um, I think it was in the hike the four thousand footers page. Um, a woman was asking if your approach was a safe approach to do right now for, I think, a young child that has had you know minimal experience. <clears throat> and I was reading the comments, and most of the comments were like, "Hell no." You know, and then there were a couple like, oh, don't listen to the naysayers. It was a very interesting conversation. I get the impression, I've never done the hike, but I get the impression that it's not a good choice for, you know, beginner hikers or even beginner to intermediate hikers at this point. Dude, I haven't even got into like going down. Like I would not bring a kid up there at all (laughs) unless they were like, I don't know, like they would have to be like a maniac kid. Got it. Like if, if your kids hiked Everest, then do this. But otherwise, like don't bring your kid on this. And the, I mean, it's a different story if it's like snow. And But these conditions were crazy. I was on that thread. Matter of fact, I commented just about, um, I was like, bring crampons if you're going to. I didn't tell enough oh, to go. Oh, so you, just you like, saw the thread too? I did. I, oh, po- I posted. Okay. I, w- I was like, I don't go without crampons because she said she didn't have crampons. So I was like, don't go. Oh, that's but, right. That was another yeah, angle yeah. of it. Yeah. 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 But there was another guy. Um, matter of fact, I see him posting all the time. His name's Mike. Um, I think he hikes a lot. And he was the one that brought up the river crossing, too. And he's like, D- don't expect that that river crossing is going to be that easy because it was a few days after I had gone. And I guarantee you that river crossing's blown open with the warm weather. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So anyway, but anyway, so you go, so East Peak, then you go down a little bit and then you hit this chimney and then you climb up to the main peak. You can see well sticky. You got great views of Waterville Valley and the views out to Tri-Pyramids. It's it's beautiful. Like that's the one thing about Osceola is like some people will just be like, oh yeah, there's not a lot of good views on East Osceola. So mm-hmm. wrong. So many good little view viewpoints out there. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, but then you get to the main peak, and then I think there must have been like a fire tower on there because there's like four blocks, foundation blocks that are on there. And it's like a perfect peak because it's like just flat. Yeah, like Car, Car Mountain, C A R R. Yeah, exactly. 
So I just hung out there. I took some. I took some selfies. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, took some selfies, and then uh, there was a little gray jay that came and visited me. I didn't feed him this time. <laughs> Did you get on his case? Did you fat shame him? This one was skinny, <laughs> so I was like, maybe I should give him some M and M's, but I didn't. I was like, no, I'm not going to. The leave no trace. Oh. Police are going to come after me. Yeah. I did put my hand out, and he flew on my hand, and he looked at me for like maybe two seconds, and he's like, "Where's my reward?" And then he left, and then he took off. Yeah, the 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 Waterville Gray Jays are skinny, I guess. Maybe it's like all the people that come to Waterville. <laughs> I'm know. trying to dig for a joke here. Like they maybe they offer them like vegan stuff or something that they don't really like. <laughs> I don't know, but like this one was skinny. But I was like, you got to go visit your friends on Hancock. Those those ones are fat. So anyway, but um, so it was good, you know. And the weather was insanely warm. It was probably like 40, 45 degrees up there with the sun. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. So then I came back down and I I had a I had to go back down this chimney and it, I went down the bypass which is probably sketchy too right now. It was there was no you couldn't do the regular chimney like it, I mean maybe you could if you had like ice axes or something. Yeah. Yeah, you unless you had ice axes or ice climbing gear you couldn't have done it but like I went down the the bypass and I actually had a bad situation as my when I was coming down, I had to like turn around. I had to spin to go backwards. And when I spun, I caught my crampon because I haven't worn crampons in like two years. Mm-hmm. And I fell probably about 20 feet. Um, pretty bad. Wow. It was bad. And I was trying to talk myself into being like, this wasn't bad. But my, I got a cramp on my leg. I, and I thought at first I was like, I think I might have like really messed my ankle up or something. But it was re- all it was, was a, it was a calf cramp. But I couldn't get up. And um, I was laying at the bottom of the chimney, and all I could think about, I was like, I can't get, I, I can't get a rescue. I cannot. I got to crawl yeah. my ass out of here. Nine one one. Yeah, no, never going to happen. <laughs> so You'd I panicked. Put up with, put up with uh, yeah. a whole bunch of shame. <laughs> oh yeah. So I was like by myself, and I saw I had passed the girl, and then there was some old guy too. So there's two people I saw actually. But they had already, I had already passed them, but they had started way earlier than me. And I was laying there and I couldn't get up because my leg was cramped up so badly. And I was like, oh man, this is bad. But I just sat there and I just, I I grabbed some water, I grabbed some hot chocolate. And then um, I, I rested. I was finally able to get up and I was able to walk a little bit. I could barely walk on the leg because the cramp had gone so bad that um, I got to a tree and the crampons were good because I was able to sort of stretch and I know what to do for the stretching of the calf. So I like, I just sort of elevated my foot and then did the straight leg calf stretch and then bent my knee a little bit to get the Achilles. And it took me about 15, 20 minutes to get to a sense where I was comfortable, but it was a little, I was a little panicked for about three minutes. You think it was electrolytes or did you tweak it and just go, did it go into spasm? It went into, I think it was a combination of like I fell and then yeah. I just, I put it in a, a position that it wasn't comfortable with. And then I also was dehydrated mm, and needed yeah. electrolytes. So it was just a perfect combination of, oh shit. And and yeah. then I also had the anxiety of like this show and the fact that like, if I'm out there solo, like there's no way that I can call for a rescue. Mm-hmm. So You would have had service though, right? 
I had service. Probably. That's another. Th- well, see, and this is something that I always do when I'm solo is I am constantly marking, and I shouldn't spend so much time worrying about my phone, but I do constantly, and I don't have an in reach or anything like that, and I need to get one. And hopefully, my wife's not listening to this, but um, I do mark my cell connectivity. So if I get cell connection. I'll mark those those spots with the understanding mm-hmm. that like, okay, if I got to go, if I can't get back to my car, I know exactly where I got my cell connection. The reason I started doing that was because that incident on Kerrigan with my buddy that went hypothermic. Yeah. And I sort of was like, okay, you need to always sort of know where you have cell connectivity so that if something happens, you can get to a point where you can make a call. Yeah. Waterville is usually fantastic. Um Every time I've been on the Osceola's or Tecumseh, I mean, you've got the tower right there. The Tecumseh it's, it's, Tower. It's weird, though, because you have cell connection on the chimney. You do not get it when you're climbing up to the main peak. And even the main peak, it said I had 3G, but I couldn't do anything with it. So mm. it was weird. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, that was my that was my close call. But anyway, I started moving. It was slow going. Made my way back over to the East Peak. And then when you get to the other side of the crown and you're starting to go down the East Peak, that's where I was really worried because I was like, my leg felt better, but I was like, I'm worried about it. And then I was like, how am I going to ascend these these steep sections? So the first section I went down, I was, I'm always judging like, okay, can I butt slide down? Is it safe? Not safe because it's just so steep that there's no way for you to safely stop. And I had crampons on, so... It's even more dangerous because if you catch a crampon and you got momentum, you're going to flip right over. Mm-hmm. So I just made my way backwards and my leg felt okay and I was using the trees. And then I finally got down to maybe like 3,700 feet and that's where you could safely butt slide. And it was sketchy because there wasn't enough snowpack to really give you a, a luge, like a barrier on the side. So you did have to control yourself. Mm-hmm. It wasn't ideal conditions, but I was able to butt slide like three sections that saved me a ton of time. And then from there, I just mostly just hiked back down. And it was it was mostly pretty easy um, with the crampons. But if I did not have my real, I have Gravel G10 crampons. And if I did not have those and I was doing micro spikes, I would not, it would have been a long day mm-hmm. to really get down there. Well, good for you. You actually packed the real deal. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I was like, um, I was glad to have them. Mm-hmm. And it was also helpful to have all three because I was able to dial in the position where I put them in my backpack because I'm using that Hyperlite pack now. Mm-hmm. So I was able to put the crampons in the back pocket along with the ease, the the uh, the the sit pad, and then I have my snowshoes on the brain top of the top part and then i just hang my crampons off a a carabiner so gotcha. it works out yeah um, but that was it i mean the only other sketchy part was i came back and i did that river crossing stepped on the the ice coming through and i, I went right through <laughs> yeah it's been risky time of the year with all this fluctuating weather yeah yeah but i took another step and the, the rest of the ice held so i was okay but it was pretty sketchy getting across the river across, but it's, it's a good hike. I mean, it's it's type two fun. Like it's it was nerve wracking. It was a lot of work. It was probably not something I would recommend going solo unless you're pretty comfortable. Even then, like I, you know, I've hiked quite a bit, but I'm no expert. I don't think I'm still learning. But I got in trouble and got lucky. So, you know, 
Hmm. If you're going to do Osceola, just be prepared that it's it's a good hike to go with a friend. It's a good hike to have an in-reach, and it's not a joke in the winter. Hmm. I would have come out if you had called. I would have rallied. Oh, I would have, it would have been my first move. I would have rallied a few buddies and said, hey, we yeah. got to dip shit up on uh, Osceola. We got to go yeah, grab. Exactly. exactly. Be like, stop. <laughs> Keep it out of the system. Get the water. I would have. You could have got the Waterville Valley um, ski. What is that thing? The groomer. Tell your groomer friends to drive down Tripoli Road. You get Nick. Get That's Steve. Awesome. Get 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 up here and help me. So. Keep it on the down low. Yes. No one ever speaks of this anyway. But um, that's great. But that's it. So I would rate this hike as hard as hell. <laughs> Oh, this reminds me. Remember the Ken Bossy hike rating scale? Easy yeah. is difficult. Moderate is so difficult, it's not worth the patch. And then hard is insanely difficult staying in bed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. This is probably the hard one. So, but it was good. In the, <laughs> I actually didn't talk about this, but the reason I picked this is that I am picking away at the winter 4,000 footer list. So this was... And again, I'm not like killing myself to get this list done because I've done these peaks, but I prefer to do Madison and Adams just because it's it's cool to be in the Northern Presidentials. But I um, I was like, well, my next alternative, I'm going to get some 4,000 footers done. So I got number 29 and 30 for my winter 4,000 footers. So now I'm getting down to, I got a lot in the PEMI I got to do over the winter. So eventually, like I got that Zeeland Bond Traverse I got to get done the, either this year or next year. So epic epic time it's yeah. a good one anyway anything else about the Osceola's dude it's cool it's in your neighborhood I, I love yeah. that that area yeah it's beautiful absolutely there's a lot to do in there you've got the tri-pyramids and and don't forget you've got the uh, you've got a couple that you just added on for that uh, skyline loop so you can get your skyline loop patch oh yes yeah that's a good, <laughs> a good point so yeah and the views are amazing like that's the thing that i really want to drive home to people is that the osceolas even though like and i think the main peak everybody knows has got great views but like that east peak has so many little like um it's the same as the hancocks like there's so many little sort of outcroppings mm. that you don't think of where you can get good views but yet it's a a, a viewless summit yeah exactly it gets knocked as like not having a lot of good views and i, I don't remember it having good views when i went with connor and caroline but mm -hmm. and maybe winter's a little easier but it was it was pretty cool i have a memory of uh being on that east peak for flags on the 48 and you saw how tall those pines are right yeah yeah they had to use i think 30 feet plus of pvc piping to get the flag up and out of the tree cover there on that summit really <laughs> oh yeah crazy it's crazy there are some like they do need to like and i know the white mountain national forest is a managed forest that does forestry and tree work they need to look at like east osceola and maybe hail and do like some some you know scientific mm. forestry on top of those peaks so we can get a little view going on yeah no kidding yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't know who i don't know uh if that'll ever happen but anyway <laughs> Hit me up if you got any questions on Osceola's, but it was a good good trip, and I I recommend it if you're if you're not thinking very straight and you need a hike. Yeah. So this this is a great segue into the next topic, which is shoulder season. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. So so yeah, you touched upon the river crossings. You touched upon the the ice and the steepness and this and that and the gear. Uh, it's a really interesting topic, and I think we're we're approaching. 
a shoulder season much quicker than we anticipated this year. So what is shoulder season? Uh, it's, I mean, if you want to look it up, it's basically the period in between, you know, a resort destination's low and high seasons of tourism. Uh, sometimes you may see cheaper hotel prices, less crowds, things like that. Summer would be peak season and, uh, you know, winter vacation weeks might be the high season. But, um, you know, spring and autumn are essentially considered shoulder seasons. I guess you, you could put that between, say, uh, September to October, maybe even into November in certain areas, and then roughly March into April. So what the heck do you see in these, these seasons? Well, let's start with the fall first. Generally, you know, after um, the foliage drops, you're going to see less people. What are you going to see on the trail? I think you're going to see little more treacherous terrain in terms of wet leaves you're going to start to see the ice and the, the frozen patches starting to pop up you're going to see it getting darker earlier um, and then on the flip side in the spring what you're going to see is you know flooded sections of trails you're going to see the monorail which is essentially just a, a narrow track of rotten snow that just forms in the middle of the trails as the snow starts to melt you know, you're going to start to see the bugs starting to show up. Again, I think we're hitting the shoulder season for the spring a little quicker this year. I don't know how much of a monorail we're going to have to deal with this year on the trail since the rains have sort of washed the snow cover away. But, you know, we're going to be dealing with rotten ice for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. And the you're right. I don't think that you're going to have crazy... This season's where you'll have like monorails that'll be hanging out for up until June, but I don't think that you're going to have that much of an issue. I mean, when I, I was out there, yeah. like the lower elevations, we were, I was breaking through the snow and yeah. there was dirt kicking up. And then there was actually some monorail already in place. Like the, the snowpack on the ground was probably up until you get to 3000 feet. Like it was below six or eight inches. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. So it's amazing. Early. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, over the last few weeks, we've had, you know, several inches of rain, so it's just totally, totally bizarre, upside down. But, um, you know, in other seasons, you may be dealing with these post holes, and they're tricky as hell, you know, just breaking through the snow constantly, up to your groin in some cases. What other considerations? Um, mud. Like I had mentioned, trail flooding. We saw some flooding when, on that trip we did for Boncliffe, the, the Pemi Loop, um, with Alvaro. Um, you know, it's very challenging. Um you have to pack properly. Packing is, let's start with the boots. I mean, I'm wearing the same waterproof boots pretty much all year round. So that's not much of an issue. But if you're going to venture out thinking that uh, you can get away with trail runners in May or even April, sometimes it's probably a bad idea. You know, you really got to do your research. Some of the websites may be handy, like uh, New England trail conditions, that type of thing. What do you pack? I mean, I personally, whether it be the fall or the spring, I pack as though it's winter. I'll have my winter pack essentially until early June. The weather can change and it's still super cold at night. How about you, Mike? How do you approach packing for shoulder seasons? Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind about shoulder season and I am pretty... I don't get out that much in April and May. Um, a lot of reasons is mostly because my kids are a lot of activities for school and whatnot. But my thoughts around this is that I do tend to switch over to my trail runners and my lighter pack in April and May. But I'm not going up north. I'm sticking by like the Ossipees uh -huh. and some of the lower peaks in western Maine 
that are going to dry off a little bit quicker. And I love the Ossipies because it, it sure it does get muddy and the ticks you got to worry about down there. But yep. it's firmer ground because they're these like carriage trails. So the, the ground tends to be a little bit firmer and you can make your way through there. And even like the sandwich uh, range, you know, you got to pick your spots. There's some that get, you know, don't get a lot of sun, but like there's some hikes in the sandwich range that you can do that or that do tend to melt off pretty good. So I try to stay low. I, I think the other thing when it comes to mud is you do need to consider like a lot of people will keep wearing boots. I do tend to switch over to trail runners as quick as I can, but this is where you'll see like the trails really get beat up badly because people will try to bypass these big mud sections and they, yep. What are those called? Like the sort of the bypasses off the trails. You just got to suck it up. Like you just have to go into these hikes, accepting the fact that like your feet are going to get soaked. Muddy, dirty. And just go through the water. Yeah, exactly. Like don't try to like get too crazy about avoiding stuff. Like just walk through it and -hmm. your feet will dry off. Whether you got boots. Yeah, the boots probably aren't going to dry as quickly, but the, uh, the trail runners will dry off pretty quickly. So I always say like stay south. And just walk through the mud and just accept the fact that you're going to have to deal with the suck. It's a, it's a great time for waterproof shoes or boots and gaiters. Yes. This is where you, gaiters are like key, you know, um, knee high. Now, what's yeah. what states actually close some trails? Is it Vermont, essentially, that closes certain trails? I think it's Vermont and the Adirondacks. And then I think the, um, I think the Squam Range... Where we hiked, I think that they closed down Morgan and Percival in that area for a while as well. Yeah, okay. So, but the whites do not close down. Smart. Yeah, they don't. Yep. Which is good. It's good, but it's it's a shame. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just don't know how they would enforce it. It's such a big area, but... You know what comes to mind is that stretch um, going up Kinsman Ridge to Cannon, the Cannon Summit from the tram parking lot. Oh, my God. That flat section after you pass the overlook. Mm-hmm. God, it's like flooded and muddy. I've never seen it in such bad shape. So that's a good example of how you know these trails can get destroyed when you're dealing with bad conditions and mud and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, what I like, I sort of like to look at Memorial Day as my sort of like opening season. Like I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the Ossipies and the lower peaks and, you know, sometimes you can get away with like Musilaki and things like that. I will tend to be pretty quiet around April and May. And then I usually try to do on Memorial Day, like a big hike. Usually Memorial Day is when they'll open up Tuckerman's. I think this year with the low, snow amounts like Tuckerman will probably be open by Memorial Day but like that's usually when the presidentials sort of open up and they get a little bit more reasonable but you do have to you got to worry about water crossing so you got to do your research because the water can be ripping although this year I think that we're going to have a very early sort of runoff and my guess is that this summer will probably be (laughs) a little bit of a drought season Mm, probably a less of a drought season did you say yeah, I think. Oh, and more of a drought season. Yeah, I think we'll we'll deal with more drought conditions this summer because of the rain. I think like the snowpack is not that deep, and it's all. Gonna oh, I understand off, what you're saying. And yeah, then we're going to have like less water or be around in the True. summer. But in I the spring, it. yeah. it's always busy. Yeah, and oh, the bugs, the bugs. Oh my god, the bugs! I hate the bugs. I do. June is I do. Miserable man. Oh, May and June. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a little bit later in the in the shoulder season. Um, but for me, my advice on the bugs is always 
go on a windy day if you can and get above tree line. And I think there's like an elevation factor. I think when you get above like 2,500 feet of elevation or maybe 3,000 feet of elevation, don't like most of the bugs go away except for those bugs that that like to eat shit. I think wind may be a factor. Yeah, wind, yeah. temperature. Yeah. But I think there's an elevation factor to like the, the black flies and the mosquitoes where they don't go up past a certain elevation. But hmm. I always try to get, you know, my, my pick when buggy season is to go above tree line as quickly as possible. And bugs are usually not as big of a factor. And I wonder how bad uh, or good the crowds will be. I mean, I don't, with all the people hiking these days, I don't know if these <laughs> seasons are going to have much of an impact on crowds, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, we'll the... See. The certain search and rescue media reports certainly spike up in May and June. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll see. But I think that's a good segue for segment three here: search and rescue news stomp. All right, finally some material to talk about. We do. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about. So, have you watched? So, before we do the local stuff, have you watched the Olympics at all? Yeah, you know, uh, mostly the snowboarding stuff. Um, at first, I was I was anti-Olympics just because of China and this and that, and they, they've got their issues. But I got sucked into the snowboarding, and uh, it actually was really enjoyable uh, watching that. But not not much more beyond that. Did you catch any any events? Yeah, I like the speed skating. Like I like the oh, short yeah. short track, but I didn't really mm-hmm. watch much. Yeah. Um, I did want, like my kids were and my wife were paying attention to the figure skating drama, but that was that was okay. But I did watch um, this news article that that you had found and you had sent to me. And matter of fact, I got this sent to me like five different people that mm-hmm. were like, "Oh, you got to cover this." But um, there was in the the I think it's called the no, it's just cross country skiing. So the biathlon is the one where right. they ski and then they shoot. But this was just cross country skiing, correct? With those skin tight suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what the deal is with those skin side suits. But so anyway, this article, Snop found this, and it's this guy from Finland. He was supposed to be in the 50-kilometer race, but for whatever reason, I think it was too cold or windy, they shortened the race to 30 kilometers. And I actually watched this race, and it was pretty interesting. There was a U.S. guy that finished in the top 10, and he did really well. It was mostly Russians that won it. But um, this guy from Finland, his name was Remy Lindholm. Um, so it wasn't, um, Stomp Magnuson, but it was Remy Lindholm <laughs> who apparently got an injury during the race and needed a heat pack. So this guy, the race lasted for about an hour and 16 minutes for 30 kilometers and there was howling, freezing winds. And apparently this guy suffered a frozen penis. Oh, that must've been cold as the Dickens. <laughs> oh my God, Stomp. <laughs> So yeah, that was a penis. So he froze his penis in a cross-country skiing race. <laughs> oh my god! So, you know, I I used to hike with those tight thermal pants like that, and I yeah. experienced it myself. I mean, it's not fun, but you know, I also read in this story that this is the second time it happened to the guy. Yeah, so I yeah and think, I have some thoughts on this. Okay, what, what? Let's hear it. Well, I think he's full of shit. I don't believe for a second that his penis froze for being outside in a, an hour and 15 minutes while he was burning all these calories and generating all this heat. I, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, I've, I've experienced it myself, so I know it happens. I mean, it's not a pleasant experience. You froze your wee-wee? 
I did, yeah. Not not apparently as bad as this guy, but I've experienced that that mild hypothermia, and it's super super uncomfortable and like it. I guess thaws out is a proper term for this. It's it hurts like hell. And I, I used to cross country ski a lot, like back in Lynn, Lynn Woods, and this and that. And there were those cold days where just the um, those th- tight thermal suits just didn't cut it, you know. So anyway. You know what my solution was? Yeah, what? I, I used to I used to take an extra sock. <laughs> no, not a sock. I I'm thinking of something else. But I used to take an, an extra glove and just use the glove as a cover. And it reminds me of the sock. Like, do you remember our Red Hot Chili Peppers, the monsters of sock? Like they yes. put the socks on their penis. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. It's like it works. It's like you just use a glove, like a liner glove. Or I feel like you're sharing too much detail. Hey, hey, I'm all about openness and honesty here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Stop has frozen his... Pe- how did this never... How are we 48 episodes in and you've never talked about freezing your woo-woo? <laughs> hey, that's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe this is like... I don't know. My My situation doesn't stray too far from my main <laughs> body i guess so i don't have that problem i guess so we keep oh, our clean God. rating but anyway so anyway the, this got a lot of press and everybody was horrified and he said that it like really hurt or whatever but i feel like if you just wear thermal underwear like you won't run into the situation so be careful yeah. out there yeah so nobody's going to remember who actually won the medals so i mean he definitely deserves a cold medal i mean a gold medal <laughs> yes yeah so uh magnuson frozen oh, penis God. from finland anyway so so much for the happy finish all right enough you're shut <laughs> off you're shut off so are you got any more or are we going to move on to the next story oh no i'm just just 28th place i mean that's pretty stiff competition <laughs> enough okay so um we've had a search and rescue that happened on february 20th Distressed hiker rescued on Liberty Springs Trail. So this was 4.30 p.m., so late in the day. New Hampshire Fishing Game Department was notified of a hiker in distress on Liberty Springs Trail in Lincoln. The hiker was not able to continue descending the trail, and a companion called 911 for help. So the hikers were only planning a day hike and did not have the necessary equipment to spend the night outdoors. By the way, that hike that I did... Just in case anyone's curious, mm-hmm. I did have my, um, I had a sleeping pad and I actually brought, because I was solo and I didn't think there was going to be that many people, I did bring my sleeping bag just in case. So if I did have to sleep out, if I did have to wait it out, I would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, these people did not have anything. And at six o'clock, so they called 911, six o'clock, a conservation officer met the hiker who was slowly hiking down about a mile from the trailhead. The hiker was a 26-year-old female from Jersey City, New Jersey. So there was a group of Good Samaritan hikers that were coming down the trail. I mean, that trail gets tons of traffic, so I'm not surprised. Um, So they came across this lady. She was laying in the trail at the time, and um, they had to help her start moving again. So I don't know what was going on, but eventually she got up, and she was able to hike the rest of the way down the trail with a little bit of assistance. She was accompanied by this small rescue party, and then uh, they reached Liberty Springs parking lot uh, around 7 o'clock. 
Yeah. And this is weird, like Fishing Game saying they due to inaccurate planning and equipment, they're going to recommend that um, this person be billed for this preventable rescue. So I don't know what the billing would entail. I think I'm assuming that like maybe they had to activate a couple of like Fishing Game officers and that their overtime would have to be charged to her. But yeah, I um you know, I would suggest that people go to the New Hampshire Fishing Game Facebook page because there's a, a pretty lengthy thread of discussion about negligence and why this person was billed, if they're going to get billed. I, I suggest that people go read it because it's really interesting, just people's take on this whole incident. Because, you know, this report doesn't give any details, really, so you don't know what happened up there. But um, uh, just very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can speculate. My guess, just from reading this, and I have not gone on that Facebook page. I've been trying to stay away from social media as best I can. But, um, I mean, mid-20s, unprepared hiker. She's laying down in the trail, but then finally, like, gets the motivation. Like, maybe she didn't have the food or the drink or... Or maybe she was just having a meltdown. You know, sometimes people will have a mental breakdown and somebody snapped her back into it. And they were sort of like, well, you know, why'd you call 911 if you were able to sort of hike out on your own? And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Part of me is sort of like, if you feel like you're in danger, call 911. Don't discourage people. But on the other hand, like, if you're going to call 911, make sure you really need help. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah. So. I do always, like, I'm fascinated, like, I've never been on one, but I would always love to know, like, when you're hiking with somebody like that and they're having a meltdown or whatever, like, what the conversation's like. I always say that, but I'm like, what, are you arguing? Are you panicking? Or what? what's the hiking companion thinking? <laughs> yeah. Next story here. So we had three three hiking incidents this week. So this one happened on Monday, February 21st. Shortly after 1.30, Fishing Game was notified of a hiker who had sustained a serious but non-life-threatening ankle injury on the precipice path off a straight-back mountain in Alton. I don't. I have no idea where that is. Mm, sounds fun. So, I don't know. Is that like in the Belknaps or something? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not really um, sure myself, but uh, Alton is down by Mount Major. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a um, 66-year-old uh, hiker from Gilminton, New Hampshire. Um I guess she, you know, had some sort of an ankle injury and they arrived at, I guess the call came in at one thirty. rescuers got there at 2.45, so pretty quick. Yeah, yeah and, she had the proper footwear, proper traction, but just yeah. slipped on the ice. Yeah, yeah, it looks like she, they were prepared for the conditions and then she just was coming down a trail and she slid on the ice and it was a debilitating injury, mm-hmm. so she wasn't able to beer weight or walk yeah. so she was carried about a mile out so yeah she wasn't too far up but yeah I crazy mean, it can happen to anyone it almost happened to me this week so. yeah i think this seat this spring is going to be bad this next several weeks just because of this deep ice that's out there especially yeah. with a, a deceptive two or three inches of snow covering it now but um nice work with uh lakes region search and rescue Members of Alton, Gilmanton, New Durham, and Wolfboro Fire Departments responded, and uh, excellent job, guys, along with Fishing Game. Yep. Hopefully she's feeling better. Yeah. So the next one was on Sunday, February 21. This was um, happened at 11.45. Fishing Game was alerted to an injured hiker on the Fishing Jimmy Trail in Lincoln. So I guess she was with... Some hiking companions, 
They called 911 to report that a 52-year-old female had slipped on an icy, steep stretch of trail and slid about 15 feet down. So Fish and Jimmy mm. is like, uh, there's some steep sections there. It is tough. I can almost get, and I don't know what her footwear was, but I can almost guarantee you this was like, microspikes weren't enough, crampons probably would have been enough. Right. But I don't know. It's hard to speculate, but I feel like that's a, we're in this weird period where I haven't, ha- I haven't had to wear crampons for like two years, but like a lot of these trails are probably they could use crampons and people don't have them or they just don't think to bring them because they haven't needed them for so long. Yeah. And no question. And add the ice luge because people just do butt sled. They butt sledding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, so she 15 feet down the trail during the, um, the sliding fall, she suffered a leg injury and the leg injury was going to prevent her from being able to hike out. Um, so it was about 1.2 miles above Lonesome Lake and 2.2 miles from the trail. It's so pretty far away. Rescue team comprised of PEMI search and rescue um, and conservation officers responded to the trailhead. So call came in at 1145. They got to her at 245. Mm. And it doesn't say that she was moving, but because of the ice, steep and icy conditions, it took considerable time to stabilize the injury and package her up. So they didn't get going until four o'clock. Incredible. If you see the pictures that um, Fishing Game posted, there's one picture in particular that shows, uh, this is public information, that shows that the plastic sked that they used to put the person in. But they, the one thing that you will see is a rope coming up to whoever's taking the picture. And it looks like a belay. So that must have been a very steep section where this person was and just, just got injured and just was sort of just sat right there. So it's really challenging for these teams to extract somebody off of these sections, you know, safely and and quickly. Even getting them into a litter on terrain like that is is precarious, especially if it's hard ice. But my my point here is that they used a belay, and the belay is basically a rope that's fastened around a tree, and it's it's just a backup braking system for that litter, just in case you know uh, a rescuer slips, loses grip on the litter or the sked, and you know just to prevent that person from sliding in the litter. So you'll see that occasionally. Oh yeah, I mean it's. And that, you know, when you pass, you, you, so you get to Lonesome Lake Hut, and that's a pretty gradual hike. And then when you get to, I'm trying to think of it, like Fish and Jimmy, like it, it's a it challenge. gets steep. It's, yeah, it, yeah I mean, it, it starts out like puds, purposeless ups and downs, yeah. but hefty ones with like, you know, 20 foot boulder drops and this and that. And then it just rockets straight up. Uh, it gets really challenging until you get to the cannonball cutoff and the shelter cutoff. You, you know, you can go left or right there. Yeah, that, that trail is somewhat notorious. It's funny it popped up in the news again because um, that was a very popular spot for a stretch there. But it uh, had gone quiet for a number of seasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great hike, but I remember oh, yeah. going up and down that thing, and it was steep in some sections. So Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she called at 1145. Rescuers got there at 245. They didn't get her packaged and moving until 4, and then they reached the trailhead at 620, and then the the victim got an ambulance ride down to uh, to Littleton. And um, I did notice she posted something, so the person that was involved in this posted something about, um, you know, that she 
her day ended early and that, you know, she, I think she gave a thank you out to the, the rescuers and whatnot. And I think it was just one of those things where she slipped. She didn't really get in a lot of detail, but it is what it is. So, but I do think if you're out there right now uh, and you're, you're sort of like, you know, should I be bringing snowshoes or, um, or not? I would say bring the snowshoes, but also more importantly, bring crampons, like real crampons. Like micro spikes are not going to cut it out there in these conditions on steep steep terrain at this point given how i mean that's my opinion anyway given what i experienced on osceola mm-hmm. yeah absolutely very interesting I, it's it's mind-blowing it took an hour and 15 minutes to package the person but again it's just it must have been steep and icy yeah yeah no doubt and then our last story of the day and then we'll wrap this up stomp is that there's been uh vandal vandals have been attacking signs and so they've been I, I don't know, Tom. You you describe this like they're, they're actually working hard to vandalize this stuff. Yeah, it seems. It looks as though they're taking chainsaws to the classic White Mountain National Forest uh, sign on the Kank. They're shooting shotguns at privies. Um, it's just really widespread and really disappointing to see. I mean, I remember several years ago, there was that mild stretch of just graffiti, like people were graffitiing on the trail signs on the trails. And that absolutely pissed me off. But this is, this is a new level. And unfortunately, you know, my assumption is it's probably out of staters because it's during the vacation week, which really sucks. Like this just where's the respect for the land up here and these resources? Where the hell is it? I don't know what's going on, but uh, yeah, they, they vandalized, you know, historical signs regarding Chikora. My God. So they're like, they're looking out for any people. If you, if anybody has any information regarding this uh, to report it to authorities, uh, but that's probably next to impossible to, to figure out. Oh, and the cost of the damage. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's stupid. I mean, I was certainly no angel when I was a kid and I did some dumb things, but um you learn from it, and I didn't do too much vandalizing uh, that I can remember. But like something like this, this is just crazy, and it's like pretty brazen because that sign on the kink is like mm. it's right there. Like it's not like you can hide around a corner, and and you'd have to get out of your car and actually you're right there on the top of the kink. And I would assume if a car comes by, they're going to see what's going on. But apparently, it doesn't get a lot of traffic. Well, yeah, uh, you know, in the, the Pemi Ranger district in Saco, it's probably quiet at times, but they're shooting buckshot shotgun shells. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, man. Yeah. It's funny. You, you So you think it's out of staters. I, my, I immediately went to like, it's just some local kids like going crazy. And the reason uh, I think that is just because of the, uh, the shotguns. Like, I just feel like it would be, maybe it would be a little weird for like an out of stater to be to have a shotgun. bringing a shotgun. But then again, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about what? guns or people to know. You don't pack a chainsaw when you go on vacation? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm from Massachusetts. My chainsaw is electric. <laughs> Holy moly. Well, if they were my kids, man, they'd, they'd be in jail right now. Back oh. in my... You're like that old guy on the YouTube video about skiing and snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but don't mm. vandalize stuff. And if you see something, say something. And uh, let's find these punks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Stomp. So Good stuff. We'll say goodbye to the Woodpecker Studio for another uh, say goodbye to the assistant producer. I see see her walking around back there, and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll catch you on episode 49. Excellent. See you then. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland of New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.